morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Vanguard. For Spike Jews World Cohen, I am Matt Wright, and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom. Jews World. Oh, Jews World. <laughs> <laughs> that one was tough. Hey, everybody, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Matt, how was your week? My week was good. My week was good. I'm, uh, you know, getting all ready for some big event that's happening here in Orlando this weekend. Oh, yeah. We're having the convention. Yeah, I got that convention happening. Well, that explains why my wife and I are going to Orlando tomorrow. Oh. It explains. I was, for a minute there, I was like, (laughs) I was like, well, I mean, you know, it's nice. I hear Disney World's opening back up, maybe. Uh, So, you know, I thought, well, I'll I'll go to Florida. But, But you're right. It was because of the convention. Which is good because I'm actually going to be speaking uh, on Friday. Yeah, that's at good. The, it's good. It's good because I'm actually scheduled to speak at the luncheon uh, on Friday uh, at noon, which will be on C-SPAN, I'm told. Um, and then also uh, I am hosting the uh, Gun Owners of America's uh, uh, panel on the Second Amendment and civil liberties and self-protection and gun rights and all that. Uh, and it's going to be hosted by me featuring uh, Antonia uh, Okafor-Cover, Maj Ture, and many other uh, libertarian and libertarian-leaning uh, activists of all different uh, ethnicities and sexual identities and everything else uh, to show that, liber- that the uh, the cause of gun rights and gun ownership is not a, a white people thing. So that's happening Saturday morning. Um, yeah, so it, by the way, let me I just want to talk about that for a minute. OK, that is happening Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that was going to be like a Saturday night thing. No, but now I have to wake up early to drive to or you have to wake up early because it's going to be at like 10 in the morning. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 10, 10 o'clock. So I have to leave here at like 830. Maybe earlier, maybe earlier. Well, I'm leaving here at 8.30. How long does it take to get you to the Rosen Center in Orlando, Florida? About hour and 15 normally. Okay, yeah. I'd leave 8.15-ish. Yeah, that's a babysitter thing, though. Oh, okay, okay. Well, then. (laughs) That's not, like, that's not me. That's fair. That's fair. So, folks, thanks for tuning in. We have quite a show for you. We're going to go through the, the week's events. And we're going to do uh, some call-ins from our Chris Reynolds personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds attorney at law anchor call-in moment about halfway through. Uh, we're going to go through all of various week events, and then we're going to give an update on the Jorgensen Cohen campaign, first and foremost. First and foremost, allow me to thank Casey Nether Campbell for the kava that I am drinking on today's episode. It is a lovely white sand kava from the island of Vanuatu. And allow me to thank Le Blue Jackson uh, for my uh, pure, what is this? Ultra pure water that I'm drinking on this episode, Bulavanaka. Bulavanaka. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Dad Bod calendar featuring some of the sexiest Libertarian men that you've ever seen without their shirts on. Uh, the perfect social distancing tool. If you want to keep people away from you, definitely carry one of these bad boys around. Uh, featuring me and 11 other incredibly sexy and incredibly libertarian men. 
uh, libertariandadbod.com. You can get it yours for $12, including shipping. Uh, and for $30, you can get one signed by me, by Spike Cohen. Uh, and that also includes shipping. Libertariandadbod.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing caucus in the Libertarian Party. And that is true. That's not a joke. That is true. This episode is also brought to you by Black Coffee, spelled B-L-V-C-K, because of course it is. The finest cold brew organic coffee available in America. Uh, go to 100% Black... 100% true. Yeah, no... Uh, 100% true. Matt can, Matt can testify to that. I can. And I will. Often. <laughs> so go to blackbrews.com, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W-S... Dot com uh, and be sure to use the checkout code MW to get free shipping on all of your various black organic coffee goods that you get. This episode is also brought to you by the Jorgensen the Jorgensen Cohen 2020 campaign. Joe Jorgensen and I are fighting for an America set free and to take the power out of the hands of the Republicans and Democrats and their their craven lying politicians and bureaucrats and cronies and putting it in the hands of the American people where it belongs. Jojo 20, Joe, J-O-J-2020.com uh, for more information on that. And this episode, of course, is brought to you by Henry McMaster, governor of South Carolina, where Joe and I both live, who we can both attest to is a bitch. Matt? I just want to say that um, it was two years ago. Oh, yeah. July 4th. So... What, Saturday? Two years ago Saturday mm-hmm. that Spike Cohen officially joined Muddied Waters Media and aired his very first show of My Fellow Americans. Was that with um was that with Lou Sander or that was, was that with, with Lou Sander? It was an episode detailing the history of the American Revolution and the uh, Articles of Confederation and the Constitution that replaced it. And uh, it was a very rousing discussion by a incredibly well-read and brilliant and well-spoken man in Lusander and an absolute bumbling mess of a person who did not know what the hell he was doing in me, Spike Cohen. But I've gotten better. You Much, much better. Much better. Yes, you have. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember the first show of Muddy Waters of Freedom, you know, before you were the host. Right. And um, like, it, was, uh, it was a bumbling mess of a show. It was awkward and quiet and we didn't really know what we were doing. And I would like to think that I have also gotten much We have better. all gotten better. We have all gotten at least marginally better. I mean, I, slightly better. I, I tell people don't watch that episode, but it's actually a great episode. The episode one, it it's goes into so much information, incredibly informative. I'm just saying they're like, yeah. Hey, that's great. Uh, so I have another question and everything I say ends like this. Like I'm asking you a question. <laughs> It was, it was my voice. I don't know what was wrong with me. I had no, I, I don't was like know. going through puberty all over. I again. was going through puberty at, at, at the age of 30, what, what, what was 36 going through right. puberty live on Facebook and YouTube. Um, so yeah, no, so we've definitely, we've moved past that thankfully and have moved into, uh, actually being good at this. Um, yes. and speaking of being good at something and then leveraging that for, politics uh kanye west has decided to you don't have the updated notes um i don't have the updated notes why haven't no you don't so uh breaking news breaking news 
the Trump administration is looking to ban TikTok. Ah. Looking to ban the old TikTok social media. Right when I get on TikTok. Right when literally Spike Cohen. <laughs> if, if you're looking for a reason why, there it is. That's definitely uh, the reason why. Yeah. Um, in June, it was reported by Forbes that the app was caught spying on millions of iPhone users again by Apple after previously being caught in April. And they were also caught doing this in January. Uh, Mike Pompeo warned American users of Chinese apps that they need to be careful and that they risk putting their private information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. But in all actuality, I'm pretty certain it's because the TikTok kids messed with Donald Trump's yeah, yeah. party so, in Tulsa. Yeah, the reason this is happening, folks, is because when uh, when uh, Donald Trump had his uh, his last rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, they had a million people, over a million people try to get tickets to go to it. And um, the reason for that was because a bunch of uh, teenage K-pop fans on TikTok decided to, uh, they call it Operation Lincoln. They decided to uh, pretend that they wanted to go and sign up to, to go to this uh, event, which crowded it out and made it harder for other people who actually did want to go. And so it kind of screwed with the president's numbers. Now, meanwhile, it turned out they were vetting those, but it created this situation where uh, uh, Trump was claiming that, you know, a million people wanted to come and then he could, he, I mean, he had like less than half capacity. Nickelback actually did much better there the last time they were there uh and they had all these you know they had these outdoor areas for overflow capacity and all this and no one can and like next to no one camps like six thousand people that came way less than was trump trump scheduled a sec like a a a pre-talk yeah scheduled like a pre-talk to talk to all the people that were going to be waiting outside yeah and there was no one there yeah there was no no one one. there was there were reporters out there and that was it reporting that no one was there it was it was pretty bad so i'm pretty sure that's part of it uh tiktok is actually owned by an american company Uh, they have an american headquarters or their own so they're owned by their subsidiary of a chinese company uh but they've also had quite a bit of autonomy they've said they haven't shared any data with the chinese government uh in in any situation they've never been requested to share it and they never have shared it they actually that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it wasn't taken though it doesn't mean it wasn't taken but they also said that all of their servers are in the u.s and singapore so they're no more uh, uh they're no more uh vulnerable to, to having their information taken than any other tech company um when the recent hong kong security bill was passed they did what many other tech companies did and 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 bo- now boycotted uh hong kong so you can't do business uh you, you can't use TikTok if you're on Hong Kong. So this is because the K-pop kids screwed with Trump's rally. That's that's all this is about. Um, there's no security implication to the existence of TikTok. And speaking of TikTok, if you want some great content, uh, be sure to follow me at literally Spike Cohen on TikTok. And if you want absolutely no content, <laughs> you can follow Muddied Waters Media at Muddied Waters Media. Because we have a thing. We just don't do anything with it. Yeah, for a while we were only following one person, and that was Vermin Supreme. That was Vermin Supreme, yeah. And now, no. Uh, now, we'll probably start following me on there as well. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe. we're following three people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, our I TikTok. The reason I people. the reason I have a TikTok is because I have a campaign a social media team who is putting me on TikTok and telling me things to say on video so they can add it to TikTok. So that's that's why we're on TikTok. Otherwise, I would not be on TikTok because I right. don't get TikTok. I don't get TikTok. 
but I don't have to get TikTok because no, I I'm, I'm starting. So having it on my phone since Vermin Supreme since November, um, yeah. right? Uh, I get TikTok a lot more than I used to because man, if you're just trying to kill five minutes to six hours, it's real easy to do. <laughs> well, speaking of killing time, Kanye West is decided to kill anywhere from a few minutes to the better part of the year. Right. Running for president. Running for president of these United States. So far, he has hit the ground running by tweeting that he's running for president. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I believe that the ballot access deadlines uh, in three major states have already passed. Uh, He... um, I don't believe he's filed yeah. officially. He hasn't. He hasn't done with anything, the, right? Um, yeah, basically, Kanye is doing this for publicity. Yeah, because he has a new album coming out, and he really wants it to uh, be a big hit. And that sounds a lot like another famous person that ran for president who had a TV show that was getting ready to air, and he wanted it to be a big hit and get more money for it. Of course, he is the president. He's now, now the president, but he also <laughs> like registered and filed to run for president. He had a campaign. Team he did. And, like, so he actually, he did. yes, it was he, to try to push his show, but also. Right. Like, he, he did put everything into motion as opposed to just declaring he was running for president. But this is something Vermin says. Running for president is a declarative statement in and of itself. If you declare I am running for president, you're running for president. It doesn't mean you're going to be on any ballots or that anyone's going to vote for you or that anyone even heard you when you said it. And so, I mean, Kanye is already ahead of the game in that because a lot of people heard him say it. Uh, right. But that's – you then have to do stuff. Yeah, there's there's things that you have to do you to, to follow do. that up. Because yeah. even a lot of states don't allow write-ins. Like you have to actually try to – get on the ballot or no one can vote for you if they even want to. And I deeply suspect that this might be the last that we hear of this. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I think he'll tweet about it some more. He'll he'll continue to talk about He'll continue this, but in terms of actions, I think that just talking about it is about the most we're going to get. And I I am thankful about this because this is kind of waking people up to the idea of not voting for Trump or Biden. It's helping with that. Which, uh, if you don't want to vote for Trump or Biden, and you want someone who's actually going to be on the ballot, you've got other options. So speaking of... Somebody who doesn't have more options. Well, someone who currently has very few options. Very few options. Ghislaine Ghislaine Maxwell. Did we determine whether it's Ghislaine or Ghislaine? (laughs) Let's go with Ghislaine. It starts with a G. So as part of my show prep for this show, I watched a bunch of show, like I watched and listened to a bunch of podcasts mm-hmm. and radio shows and yeah. everything just to find out how to say her name. And they all said it differently. So no one knows how to say her so name. No one knows. Yeah. And well, we all does. won't know soon because she's going to not right. kill herself. Right. Uh, well, as we all know, she was arrested at her hideaway last week in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She Proving was... that it's not a very effective hideaway. No, if not, you can get casually arrested at it, you didn't hide away very well. Um, and she was transferred to the federal the federal metropolitan detention center in Brooklyn, which 
used to host R. Kelly and Martin Shkreli. Just for little fun facts That's there. That's a fun fact. Martin now, fun Shkreli. facts about this. I actually found this right before the show. So uh, fun facts about the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. Describe, uh, an ex-warden described the jail as one of the most troubled prisons in the U.S. Guards have been jailed for raping inmates and accused it accused of beating them while the entire prison lost heat and light for a week in the depths of winter last year. Fun facts about the prison that she is now in. Oh, and she's also in a 14 day isolation because of COVID. That sounds fun. None of these facts sound very fun. The R Kelly, Martin Shkreli thing was kind of fun. That's kind of, you know, that's a, that's a, it went downhill after that. Yeah, it really goes down after that. So, of course, all of social media, including yours truly and him, uh, right. guy on left, uh, are also uh, also not really – we're all waiting to see when she dies because she yeah. was the next one. And she has all the information that Jeffrey Epstein had, and now she has a vested – She probably has more. She possibly has even more. And she has every reason to spill the beans if she doesn't die. Oh, yeah. And uh, she has also stated that she will fu- fully cooperate with the investigators. Yeah. So, so she was put into quarantine today, 14 po- po- days. Possibly already dead. I'm saying, yeah, she some COVID-related incident. Yeah. That's if, – if, if I was betting on it. Yeah. A COVID-related death. Yeah. COVID-related. So this is uh, Ghislaine Maxwell age. Just want to know how old this. She was born in 1961. Okay. So she's she's 59. So statistically, if she got COVID, she should survive it. The the odds are very much in her favor. You know, she's not in her, you know – 70s 80s 90s you know and and she as far as we know maybe she has a health condition but more than likely her or the, the odds are pretty overwhelming that she would survive this so if she dies of covid then hashtag gislaine maxwell didn't die of covid Ty- tyler rush is betting on a covid overdose <laughs> two covids to the back of the head um, <laughs> right. uh while she slept um yeah yeah, no, RIP in advance, um, Ghislaine Maxwell. Not that she's yeah. a wonderful person, because, I mean, she was... Right, the, I was like, I'm not really giving her the RIP. She I doesn't mean, really... R. <laughs> R. Just R. Just R. <laughs> Just R. I am certain somebody R. will miss you. R to Ghislaine Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> Given that pre R, given her that pre R before she R's. Uh, I mean, so this is someone who helped facilitate Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island and his his abuse of hundreds, I think, of of teenage girls. Like, I mean, I don't know if we're ever gonna know. Yeah, I mean, many, 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 countless many. teenage girls to be raped and abused. By powerful, powerful people. Right. Including possibly the president. And previous presidents. 
And according to one parlor user last week, um, the Chief Justice of the United States. Sure. Right. I mean, could it be? I, I've heard far less plausible things in my time. Uh, right. One, one I mean, thing. One the, thing. The I, one. The, the one person whose name keeps getting floated that I absolutely believe is Prince Andrew. Well, especially the way he handled it. Like he first, he was just going to ignore it. And I was like, no, no, you can't ignore that. (laughs) You can't ignore the rape of children. Yeah. You can't ignore international teen rape. You have to say no. Or if you did it, you have to really get out in front of that. You can't just not, can't not say anything. You, you, you can't just let that one slide into the background. I would definitely not let that slide. You can't let the no. kitty rape slide. You have to kind of talk about it. That's, that's a story you want to get ahead of. That's really a story quickly. you want to get ahead of. Uh, and especially if you didn't do it, you definitely want to get ahead of it to say, hey, listen, uh, right. before this gets out there, did not rape the kids. But when you don't say anything and then your initial response is just sort of a really meek response, Starting to look like you might have done it there, Prince Andrew. Um, so yeah, no, I mean it's 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 terrible. She when she dies, which is probably soon, it will be to protect people like him, uh, just like Jeffrey Epstein's uh, didn't kill himself. Ghislaine Maxwell didn't kill herself and probably didn't die of COVID either. Right? Did uh, do you think this is going to make it to trial? Like, do you think that there's any shot? Yes, if you elect Joe Jorgensen and I, we will try our best to make sure she makes it to trial. She won't be a. That's I, November. I, know, she, I, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. If you once you elect us, we'll make sure that other Ghislaine Maxwells and Jeff Epstein's don't not kill themselves. But yeah, no, right. she's not going to make it four months. There's no way. Yeah, no, she's going to make it. I might. She might already be dead. They'll wait. They'll wait a few days. They'll wait a few. Right. Days. That's, yeah. You can't do it immediately. Yeah. You. Yeah. You can't. Like that. That. That would be a level of brazen, unheard of. I mean, it was pretty brazen the way they did it with Epstein. It was. Oh, uh, he killed himself, even though he had just said he was in good spirits, and there's no camera footage, and he was in like the most secure cell, but we have no footage and no witnesses, and um. Also, the way he did it was really would have been hard. And also, um, one of the coroners uh, says that it didn't look like he killed himself. It didn't didn't look like he killed himself. But he totally killed himself. Oh, and we burned his body like immediately. But he he totally did it. Um, uh, Judith Ruder asks, a BPA-free bottle? Yes. There's no... This bottle, this water is BPA-free non-carbonated made in the usa and kosher just like me (laughs) right like we don't have bpas that's not a i don't i believe i'm bpa free i'm pretty certain you're bpa free i don't i'm not really 100 percent on what bpa is i know it's harmful i don't know if it's like naturally occurring in humans but if it isn't It's it's in plastics oh then i don't have it right I'm I'm BPA negative and kosher. Well, actually, I'm not kosher. If you eat me, that is not kosher. Really? Yeah, you can't eat Jews. 
So speaking of eating Jews, for the first time since 1996, the Supreme Court made rulings in July for a week. That's nothing about eating Jews. That was just a terrible segue. That was an awful segue. Yeah, first time since 1996, they made rulings in July. And they're going to have more. Like, yeah, usually like, like around my birthday, June 28th, um, that's like their final rulings are happening the 28th and 29th and 27th and right. so forth. Right. But there were so many, uh, they listened, they heard so many uh, cases uh, in May that they had to actually extend out, which you don't hear of often, like completely sort of out of the norm for them. I mean, since 1996 anyway. Um, so they did have a pretty big week. One of these happened last Tuesday moments before our show. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I felt that it was important. So we're going to spend a very brief amount of time on it. Okay. Um, But last Tuesday, the Supreme court endorsed a month endorsed Montana tax credits that helped pay students to attend religious schools with chief justice Roberts saying a state need not subsidize private education but once a state decides to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. So that opens possibility for school choice to become more prevalent uh, or or for states to stop subsidizing private education completely, which I know people are going to get mad at me. And this is not an official Jorgensen Cohen campaign platform. That would be my preferred outcome. And here's why. When you open the door to state-subsidized charter schooling, here's what happens. You now have the state becoming the main uh, uh, payer, the main consumer of education in private and charter schools. They're the ones paying the bill. And if they become the ones paying the bill, now they have to do it the way that the state says to. So very quickly, these charter schools become private in name only. They're customer is the government they might have a handful of people who uh you know who are paying out of pocket but the vast majority of their customers are public education kids kids who who can't on their own afford to pay for it and so what happens with that and the reason they can't afford to pay for it is because their parents have been robbed through the property taxes and all the other taxes to pay for their public education so it's all a shell game uh, but what it leads to is the state controlling all forms of education and eventually they're going to make it against the law to have private education that isn't paid for by the state now all of a sudden it's all just public education it's all just government-run education uh and they control how that education is doled out um and then eventually you know the one good thing that would still exist is that you know it's not that the teachers unions aren't involved and and the the schools can be shut down uh if they if they aren't performing well and the, the teachers can be fired if they aren't performing well once they're getting that money and once they're being told what to do, then the schools say, hey, wait a second, you shouldn't be able to shut us down or f- fire our teachers. And now we've just got government schools everywhere that are called something else. And you have destroyed private education. And the next step is going after homeschoolers. And for those who are thinking that I'm looking really far ahead and making a lot of assumptions, I invite you to look at everything the government has ever touched ever. They start with saying, we're going to help increase access by 
allowing people who can't afford it, and they can't afford it because we took their money, and, and we're going to make people who can't afford it be able to have access to these things that we need. And then they say, well, because we're controlling who has access and bringing these customers to these providers, we're going to tell them how to do their job. And then they say, well, since we're telling them how to do their job, uh, we're going to make sure that they don't fail and that they, they never go under. And then one day they make it illegal for anyone to do it outside of this arrangement. And then they, they take over as complete. So kind of scary. But we will see how this ends up ending. Uh, and then there was another thing. So yesterday in a rare unanimous vote, the Supreme Court ruled that members of the Electoral College have to oh God, vote have to vote for whomever won the popular vote in their respective states. And states are free to remove and punish presidential electors who speak with their pledges to support designated candidates, thereby essentially destroying the entire purpose of the Electoral College in the first place, Matt? Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the Electoral College has been a rubber stamp since, like, you know, the second election. Oh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, it was the original purpose was if they disagreed with what the voter said, they could do this. But the other purpose of the Electoral College was to make sure that large population areas weren't dictating all of the country. Right, right. Well, and it was also that the idea was that this was a collection of 50 nation states who were in a federation with each other uh, in a federalist system, uh, but that they as individual states chose who they wanted to be president. And, and you know, it was, you know, there was weighting based on population, uh, how many votes they got, uh, but it was not, you know, it was just, it wasn't just, oh, we as an entire country pick this person. It's we as a collection of 50 states each select this person. So, you know, this gets rid of the faithless, faithless elector uh, and just has it where, you know, the immediate, um, you know, whoever wins their popular vote in their state gets the, the, the points. Right. Um, and this all stemmed from a case out of Washington where they fined several electors $1,000 for attempting to place their votes for someone other than Hillary Clinton, um, which I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. RIP uh, to those electors, by the way. Right. Um, Justice Kagan wrote the opinion and uh, everybody but one signed on to it. And in it, she wrote, the Constitution's text and the nation's history both support allowing a state to enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee and the state voter's choice for president. Um, and I, I kind of understand this ruling. The state party is selecting these people to, to be a member of the Electoral College, to be an electorate for your state. It's supposed to be an honor and your party picks you and says hey we want you to do this they right. don't want you to change your mind the reason you are being given that now nowadays maybe not originally is because it wasn't it's an honor um and they don't want somebody going rogue um but like Catherine bernard did in georgia right did she yeah that was that was her first you know real exposure in in politics in georgia was she was the faithless ron paul elector and uh I thought that was somebody from Texas that did that. No, she wanted to do it. And they basically did everything they could to block her. Um, yeah, that gotcha. was her whole thing. Yeah, Somebody in Texas did do that in mm-hmm. 16. Yeah. Um, so this didn't say that the states... Oh, wait, no. This said that the states actually... That they have to do it. They can't decide for themselves. They have to force 
the electors to vote for whoever won the popular vote of their state of their state okay which basically which i talked about later but we'll just get into it now but the national popular vote interstate compact should be crushed by this well it should be crushed by the fact that it's an interstate compact which the constitution explicitly says is not well, to be allowed compact not a treaty i read all the arguments yeah yeah, yeah. but it's, it's like, a compact not it's a, a treaty compact. it's, it's um, an agreement between states point. outside of the federal government agreed. agreed but no matter what the, i think that that's why they kind of made this ruling ah to say no, like just so we don't have to hear that case. Yes, you have to vote for who wins the popular vote in your state. In your state, ah, instead of the popular vote overall. I think that I, I, I don't know. I haven't spoken with anybody on the Supreme Court recently, or ever. So you didn't do your and- job. For the notes you didn't you didn't contact the source for your show notes is what you're saying <laughs> i did not know i only i went to uh their reasonings and i read all of them and i did not get through you didn't ask on them phone. what they meant right yeah i did not ask them why whatever um whatever i i was not able to get that great why answer from clarence thomas who also <laughs> yeah wrote again um the suddenly very vocal clarence very thomas vocal who went like clarence 20 thomas. years without writing anything now every single decision he writes something pretty much al- almost uh and he wrote that is powers related to electors reside with states to the extent that the constitution does not remove or restrict that power Thus, to invalidate a state law, there must be something in the federal constitution that deprives the states of the power to enact such a measure. So basically what he's doing here is he's going to the 10th Amendment and saying, look, this is on the states. They can do this. Now, if more of the Supreme Court would go to the 10th Amendment more often, we may not have this show. We'd have a smaller government. Yeah, (laughs) if we if we had if the if the states were if the federal government was limited limited to its enumerated powers like really limited to its enumerated powers we'd have a much smaller government unfortunately we have a government that the supreme court routinely says that kind of sounds like commerce uh so yeah they can limit that they can control that but that's not commerce meant goods and services traded across state lines that was it. And when it said regulate back then, the term regulate meant make more regular, allow it to flow freely. Regulate didn't mean what they've turned regulate to mean right, now, which is control. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Now, of course, the court's opinion does not extend to every scenario that could pop up. Um, and in it, in her, uh, in her opinion, Kagan listed a few. Okay. Uh, she said, if the winning presidential candidate dies after election day, but before the electoral college casts its votes, states can't necessarily force electors to cast ballots for a dead person. Okay. So situations like that. Uh, she also wrote that the state restrictions on electors couldn't violate the equal protection clause or impose additional qualifications for presidential candidates and even though she didn't like say anything she didn't go into depth on that california recently had 
a case that was shut down by uh, SCOTUS uh, saying that POTUS, oh, yeah, all POTUS yeah, candidates yeah, yeah. had to release their tax returns. So, all that is required is 35 years old, born in America. I think that's it, right? Uh, 35, uh, 30, 35 years old, um, born in America, natural born citizen, and uh, you have to have resided here for at least the last seven years, I believe. Yeah, something, something like that. And it's to prevent, like you know, uh, 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 the fun fact that was added because uh, the greatest concern at that time when the revolution happened and then when the Constitution was added, the most popular person in the U.S., was the Archbishop of Canterbury, the the head of the Anglican Church. And there was some serious concern that people would elect the head of the Anglican Church, which would essentially bring America back into the fold of the British crown. And so uh, uh, and so they introduced that, saying that they had to actually live in the U.S., had to, had to be born in the U.S., uh, and had to live here for seven years. Um, but And then also they have to be 35. Uh, so... Um, yeah, so that's the only restrictions that can be put on uh, for right. someone to qualify to run for president. Right. So when California says all presidential candidates to be on the ballot need to release their tax returns, they can't do that. They can't say that. Right. Exactly. They cannot say that. So everybody is assuming she uh, I didn't put this in the notes, but she was making a lot of uh, pop culture references, which when I think of Justice Kagan, I'm not thinking somebody who can make pop culture right. references and well, she put it in the opinion and they were well placed did she I reference the kanye entire... west running for president no this was before oh. um oh actually well i don't know when she wrote the opinion it was released on monday so i'm assuming she wasn't working she wasn't last minute writing the opinion saturday night uh but she did reference uh the show hamilton and she referenced, oh, I don't remember the other thing. She referenced some other show. That's unfortunate. Um, we referenced Juice World. Yes, we did. But I'm also not in the Supreme Court. Man, which is a key difference. We make pop culture references a lot. Well, That's I do. Um, and I go, oh, oh. Follow me on TikTok uh, at literally Spike Cohen. <laughs> well, yeah, so that so should bring into the national popular vote interstate compact because I can't see how it can continue. I don't see how it can continue either. And again, I've always thought I think, it was I didn't on, see how it could continue before that, but I think it's always been that. I think it's always been on incredibly shaky ground because again, the constitution says that the states can't create a compact, can't create an agreement between them. Uh, that without involving the federal government, because ultimately what could happen then is that you could have the states create their own little interstate agreements that uh, not all states would be included and would be an end run around the constitutional process, which is what this is. The whole purpose of the interstate compact is to create a compact inter the states between the states bypassing the constitutional process right and you're not supposed to be able to do that whether you support the national popular vote whether you support keeping the electoral college in place whether you support some other system ranked choice voting whatever 
this is the way you're supposed to go through it. So, speaking of the order of things and how you're supposed to go through, on this show, the very next thing we do on this show is the personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, anchor call-in moment, Matt. That's the order of things. We're a nation of laws. That is the order of things that we wrote out in the bylaws. Na- of nation of, it, yeah, and there's no, if some other hosts of the show decided outside of the show notes to make their own order of things, that would be illegal on this show. Jason. Jason. Who just lost the game. Um, so we have uh, a, a, the personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, Anchor Colin moment is where we invite you to go to anchor.fm slash muddied waters and press that old message message button. And then when you go on, uh, when you go on, you can leave a message for us. You can also donate money. You can, you can donate money there to us if you wanted to. I'm not telling you you should. I'm saying you could. And, uh, and, but you can also leave a message. You are not required to make a donation to leave a message. We are happy to take all, um, all various, um, questions. And so we are taking our first question from Zach Taylor of uh, drunken disorderly, I believe. That's right. Hey Spike, I've heard you talk about doing away with the VA, which on a surface level as a disabled veteran, I'm all for putting our our health care more into the private sector but my immediate question is how does one make up for all of the doctoral training that the va provides um because every clinic is staffed by uh a doctor and then basically doctors in training who are working under that doctor and without that ability, how are those people going to get into the medical world in a timely fashion so that we can start lowering the cost of goods? Um, have a good one. Hey, well, thanks for that question. So uh, I, I recently, I, I, for those who don't know, I have MS. So I go to doctors a lot. And uh, thankfully, it's stable. It's been stable for many years. But I do go to doctors a lot to manage the situation, to you know check my levels because I'm on a treatment and all of that stuff. And uh, usually, when I go to doctors' offices, there are trainees there, uh, sometimes more than one. Um, so I don't see any reason why you couldn't continue to have that uh, with the doctors outside of the VA and have them in the with private sector doctors. Maybe there would be more of them. That would be good if there were more of them. They, you know, they always ask, "Is it okay if?" you know, these people witness and I go, yeah, cause we need more doctors. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think that could be met, uh, by allowing the medical professionals to continue having, uh, you know, people apprenticing under them. Uh, and for those who don't know the, uh, the Jorgensen Cohen plan for the VA, it costs more money, uh, per patient, per veteran, uh, to administer the VA than it would cost to just give money directly to veterans and let them purchase, the healthcare that they need uh, through private insurance. Uh, and of course, we know private insurance gives much better outcomes uh, than the VA does, which is VA treats its patients like essentially third class citizens. Uh, so if private insurance and Medicare are first class citizens, Medicaid and some of the state uh, run programs are second class citizens, the VA are they're treating their patients like third class citizens. It is what we would expect from a nationally run healthcare system, not just nationally paid for, but nationally managed 
government healthcare system. And so simply replacing it with giving the money directly to the veterans so they can get the care they need, uh, even including giving, continuing to give them disability payments and everything else, it would still cost billions less every year than, uh, uh, than our current, the current system, which causes terrible, terrible outcomes among uh, veterans, especially disabled veterans, the, the, the epidemic of suicide and uh, addiction and uh, among veterans, the epidemic of homelessness among veterans because they aren't getting the, the mental health and chronic pain uh, treatment that they need. So they often turn to self-medicating, uh, getting into you know drugs that lead them to uh, have even worse problems and end up on the streets and everything else. And it's directly a result of the, the VA um, and, uh, and all that. So that's the, uh, that is our plan for the, for the VA. Uh, real quick before you, uh, hit play on old number two there, um, Takashi, I saw on Facebook that you said that you left a question. Um, it never came through. So if you want to put that question in now, go ahead because you said you did and we just never got it. So Put it in now so that way you can uh, be included in this because we'd we love to have you on. Yeah. Come leave us a question because we have four more. And so there's time. We have four more we're answering before you. And so you have time to. to and thank your... you for joining the Muddy Waters group. On yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining Muddy Waters. And uh, so our next question is from Timothy Johnson. And what is. Oh, that's a picture of Timothy. Okay. It adds a little picture to them. Cool. All right. Okay. Timothy Johnson. Hey, Spike and Matt, this is Tim. Um, the main attraction to the Libertarian Party to me is gun rights. So I was wondering what your guys' uh, everyday carry and favorite range toy is and why. Thanks. Well, unfortunately, I don't have an everyday carry because I lost every single weapon and bit of ammunition that I have at that tragic day at sea. RIP my guns. Um, but my favorite range toy prior to that happening uh, was a, a Desert Eagle 357. Um, so if you picture being able to, you're carrying a, a, a pistol that weighs like six pounds. So it's very, very heavy. Uh, and it was originally designed to be able to fire a, a 50 caliber uh, Magnum uh, round without blowing your wrist off. And so it's so heavy when you fire something like a 357, imagine firing a a, a, a a 357 Magnum round and it having less recoil than a lot of nine millimeters have. Um, so you can just do your uh, with the with 357 Magnum rounds. Um, so I would say that's definitely my favorite uh, range toy back when when I could do that before that. Right back before the before boating the, accident, the day of the perfect um, storm. My favorite everyday carry is um, the Walther. PPS M2, um, comfortable, easy to conceal. Uh, the favorite range toy is the CZ SP01. Yeah, uh, it's got a two-pound trigger, amazingly accurate, just fun, just so much fun. See now I gotta Google CZ SP02. Hold on one second. SP01. SP01. Oh, so you like the compact stuff. Okay. Yeah, I like something that's extremely heavy, but has no recoil. Like, I mean, literally, it's like the opposite of most pistols. Most pistols are very, very light, have a decent amount of recoil. And a Desert Eagle is just like, this, like it's like, you know, like a weight that you're holding, like a dumbbell weight. But then, you know, I mean, there's nothing to it. Um, so 
Well, cool. I mean, the CZ is like it is unbelievably accurate, but it's but it's bigger, so you can't easily conceal it. Which that's why I, the Walther. Oh yeah, Walthers are yeah yeah. Right, the okay. Walther's just you can slide that anywhere and nobody would ever see it. Yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't because. One of the best things that's going to happen when Joe Jorgensen becomes president is that the ATF will be ended and all uh, gun laws will be no longer enforced. Um, and so we finally will be able to get back the guns that we lost at sea. Uh, I found and as Stephen Wagner says, if, if only everyone knew that every lake in America is 90% gun. Yeah, yeah. Every lake <laughs> in America is 10% H2O and 90% AR-15. And, that's right. Uh, you know, Every one of we them. want to end that formula because that contributes to the pollution. <laughs> so next question is from Samantha Enright. Hello, Mr. Cohen. Uh, my name is Samantha. And one of the issues that gets brought up when speaking to people who are either on the fence or not exactly libertarian is talking about you and Dr. Jorgensen's policy on getting rid of the federal minimum wage standard. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, could you please go into detail on what that actually means for people if that were to be accomplished? Sure, absolutely. So we've seen what happens when uh, minimum wage laws are introduced. Uh, a lot of smaller businesses, especially the ones that they're talking about right now, they're talking about $15 an hour. Well, the reason that big business cronies and their owned media are pushing $15 an hour minimum wage is because they know they can afford it, but their smaller competitors cannot afford it. So you will have many businesses that have to uh, draw down and fire people or even go out of business if they're suddenly told that they have to almost double what they're paying people. Um, but again, Amazon can afford that. Walmart can afford it. Netflix can afford it. Uh, Amazon can afford it. I already said Amazon. Um, all these companies can afford it. Uh, and many other companies like Facebook and Google, they're already paying their employees. You know, they have skilled laborers. They're paying them much more than that for the most part. Anyway, it's the mom and pop shops that can't afford it. It's the small furniture stores that can't afford it. It's the small restaurants that can't afford it. Uh, everyone else, the big ones, the big boys can afford it. And they would love to lose that smaller competition. But here's what happens. So those companies go out of business. And then also, when the minimum wage goes up, so does the cost of living. It goes up that much more because now all the providers know that everyone's walking around with that much more money. And so the cost of living goes up across the board, which disproportionately affects the people who, who make the least. So minimum wage laws actually disproportionately harm the very people that it's supposed to be helping. The poor, because what happens is when those companies go out of work, now the people that were working for them are making the real minimum wage, which is the $0 an hour that you make when you aren't working. So here's the real problem, because we have to look at, there is a problem here. The problem is that people, an increasing number of Americans, aren't making enough money to pay for their cost of living. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, their wages aren't going up enough as a, as a natural reaction of the market. And number two is that the cost of living keeps going up faster than their wage increases are going up. The way you deal with the first part of that problem is to create more demand for their labor. So we have increasing supply of labor because of businesses going out of business and we have not much demand for their labor, which means the value of their labor goes down to whatever the minimum is. 
The way you change that is by removing those barriers and burdens and taxes that the big business cronies have put in place via their bought and paid for legislators and the regulators that go through the revolving door of the regulatory agencies back to the businesses, back to the regulatory agencies. You get rid of all of those barriers that the cronies have put in place to stop competitors from working their way up and disrupting and threatening their market share. You remove those barriers so that businesses and job creators can thrive across every sector of the economy and the number of jobs uh, available goes through the roof. The demand for labor goes up. The supply for labor stays the same or actually starts to reduce because more and more people already have good paying jobs. And that will necessarily cause the wages, the benefits, everything to go up. Because if you want to get someone who works, you got to get them from someone else. You got to try to get them before someone else does or get them from someone that's already actively employing them. That makes wages go up as a function of the actual market as opposed to an imposition on the market by government, which means it's sustainable and it will go up faster than the cost of living. The other part is that cost of living increase. Well, that's simple. You end the Fed because the Fed has been leading, has been creating the cost of living increases by devaluing your currency over time uh, by printing out endless reams of Federal Reserve notes that it gives away to big businesses and Wall Street and the airlines and the hotels and you know and everyone in between uh, whenever they feel like it and also lending that money to itself to the federal government in the form of buying treasury bonds that you have to pay off with interest every day a series of new 40-year loans is taken out in your name that you your children their children and even their children will have to pay with interest but in addition to that by printing out endless reams of the same Federal Reserve notes that you have in your pocket and in your wallet and in your bank account that you use to buy and buy things that you need every single day, by printing out endless reams of that, it reduces the value. By inflating the money supply, it reduces the value of each bit of that currency, including the one that you have, which is why in 1913, when the Federal Reserve was created, two things happened afterwards. Number one, we went to war and have never been out of war since. And number two, the cost of living, which used to go up and down with supply and demand and and the natural uh, equilibrium of the market, now just steadily goes up anywhere from 3 to 10% on average uh, to the point to where now the the reserve note that you have in your pocket right now or your wallet or bank account or whatever, your your dollar bill, your reserve note, is worth $0.02 on the dollar what it was worth in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was introduced. Imagine if your money was worth 50 times what it is now. That's the problem, not not minimal wages. So that is how we deal with that. We fix the core of the problem, which is the bad policies of the Republicans and Democrats that were introduced uh, via bought and paid for politicians uh, to the behest and to the direct benefit of billionaire cronies and to the detriment of literally everyone else. Matt? I don't think I could add a single thing to that. Have you seen uh have you seen the Simpsons meme with Joe Jorgensen and American voters? Oh, and where it's it everything's stapled behind her or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was tagged in something on that and I was like I decided not to comment on it. Uh, I told the person who posted, I was like, if you want answers to these, just text me. I'll give them to you. I'm not going to do a Facebook thing because I hate doing those. Um, but, uh, and she didn't. 
Um, well, and that's why I've been doing series of videos explaining these different concepts. And so I'll be making right. ones on minimum wage, on the Federal Reserve, on on you know how do we get wages increased, how we how do we create jobs, all of these things are you know I mean there's a there's a, a roadmap for how it is, and and the the long. The long and short of it is we take the power out of the hands of the Republicans and the Democrats and the bureaucrats and their cronies that have bought and paid for them, and we put it back in the hands of the people. We put that power back in the hands. That's why we say that you are the power, um, is because if we put the power back in your hands, we put the wealth back in your hands, you will be able to come up with better uh, solutions to those problems, and we'll be getting, getting rid of the problems so you have fewer solutions, fewer problems to have to solve in the first place, so you can focus on innovating and growing and prospering and thriving. So our next question comes from uh, John Winshower. I hope I said that right. Ron, John Winshower. Hello. Please talk about how Justin Amash's legislation to end qualified immunity will help police reform in America and advance liberty. Thank you and have a good one. Hey, thank you, John. Not sure what happened there. But uh, yeah, so this is an easy one. So qualified immunity is the ridiculous legal doctrine that says that police departments or that, that police and politicians and government officials uh, are held harmless to the damages that they cause when they infringe upon the rights of others and they can't be sued if they decide that what they did was reasonable. So imagine, again, going into court and saying, Your Honor, I know that I've been charged with murder, but I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the, and the judge goes, well, if you think it was reasonable, then I'll have to throw the, 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 the charges out. Matt, one time, Matt Wright, uh, did a clinic on the history of, uh, of qualified immunity. And the long and the short of it is that it was initially introduced in the 50s and 60s so that the government could brutalize uh, the uh, civil rights protesters. It was strengthened in the 70s, 60s and 70s, so that they could brutalize anti-war protesters. It was then uh, strengthened further in the 80s and 90s so that they could brutalize victims of the war on drugs. And it was it was uh, strengthened to its most, fi- most recent final form in 2001 so that it could be used to brutalize the victims of the war on terror. And uh, it is a, a powerful way of allowing government to not be held accountable. And so here's how that plays out. Derek Chauvin, before he murdered George Floyd, had killed, had, well, killed, had 17 previous complaints against him, including wrongful death complaints. Is that, that's correct, Matt, right? Yeah. He, yeah. So he 17. potentially, 17, 17, right? Yeah, 17. Yeah, and, and including wrongful death complaints, which means he potentially murdered other people. And the Minneapolis Police Department, when they looked at Derek Chauvin, they did what police departments do around this country when they look at the bad apples in their bunch. They looked at him and went, this guy sucks. He's a terrible cop. He's causing all sorts of damage. He's hurting people. We need to get him off the streets. But if we do that, we're going to have to fight these labor unions, these police unions. It's going to cost us a fortune, a ton of money and resources, and there's not a guarantee that we'll be able to get rid of them. And he's not costing us anything by staying on the force because of qualified immunity. None of us can get sued. So we'll just leave him on the force. And eventually he's probably going to end up murdering someone or doing some terrible thing. And we can charge him with a crime. And then we can finally get rid of him more easily. And Well, yeah. And then you also have to thank the... <laughs> sure, they're going to think about getting rid of him. Um, but even if then, they... Uh, so if they wanted to get rid of him, they have to do a cost-benefit analysis and they can't. They do. 
Right. And I mean, if you think the uh, guy, I don't have his name because I don't have the that week's notes out in front of me, mm. obviously, but uh, the cop who stayed outside of the Parkland shooting for 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Well, he, he got fired from his job. Mm-hmm. He got fired from his job for not going in. And then three years later, two years later, he got his job back with full back pay. With back pay. Right. So qualified immunity is one of the many problems that you have with the police. The other one is the police unions themselves because the police unions are the ones who are protecting all of these officers. Now it doesn't fix every problem, but here's what ending qualified immunity does. Now those police departments and those police unions, they'll have a vested interest in getting rid of bad abusive cops because if for no other reason than they don't want to get sued, and in that will include the unions because the last thing the unions want is to lose all their money and resources uh, constantly having to put pay for defense attorneys for all the bad cops. So yeah. that encourages the people that right now are going, yeah, no, leave them on. It encourages them to actively root out bad cops, not just punish cops and get rid of them when they do something, but actively look and try to deter people who would do bad things from even joining the force in the first place. Imagine police departments who are actively looking for anyone who might possibly infringe upon your rights or harm you or abuse you in some way. Imagine if now they are actively saying, no, we can't get sued. It's going to cost us a fortune. Let's get rid of these people. And that enforces and in, uh, in, uh, pu- uh, in, in, that punishes bad policing, but it also rewards good policing not infringing upon people's rights and in fact now the police departments and police unions are going to look at laws that lead to unnecessary police interactions which increases the rates of potentials for lawsuits and they're going to actively campaign to say let's end the war on drugs let's end these things so that the only time that police are interacting with people is to protect lives and rights and property what we're absolutely necessarily in needed for so it changes everything around. Instead of incentivizing bad policing, it encourages police to actually be on the front lines of trying to stop all of it to begin with. The only thing I worry about is when you get rid of qualified immunity and suddenly everybody can get, everybody can now get sued for what they've done. Insurance, like I'm worried about like QI insurance. Well, I'm not because I'm not in government. And if I am in government, I'm not going to do things that lead to – go ahead. Right, but yeah, no, I'm worried about like qualified immunity insurance. I don't know what they would call it. But like qualified immunity insurance where police officers will say, I want uh, insurance in case I get sued for, you know, acting outside of the breadth of my responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, that's a great idea up until you realize that that's just included in their payment and insurance companies – are only going to do the insurance if they think they're going to make more money at it than what they're paying out. Absolutely, which is why now you'll have yet a third group of people, the uh, the uh, you know uh, government malpractice insurance companies pushing for changes along with the police unions who don't want their their members to be paying these ridiculous uh, you know these ever increasing uh, uh, insurance uh, uh, malpractice insurance or whatever they would call it, like you said abuse insurance, what QI insurance, whatever they would call it. Um, so there's a vested interest now. And now you've created yet a third group of people who, because they want to profit, they're going to say, hey, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's try to keep this number down. And so let's push for policies in the same way that, you know, car insurance companies were, will push for policies and changes that they think will lower the rate of accidents so that they don't have to pay out as much. You will now have 
uh, these malpractice insurance or whatever they call it, abuse insurance or whatever companies saying, let's get rid of the war on drugs leads to much more police interactions. Uh, and so as a result of much more police interactions, we now have, you know, more potential for, uh, you know, uh, allegations of abuse and harm and so forth. So let's end, let's get rid of anything that's not necessary. So they, it would, it would cause them to push for better policing and better interactions and fewer interactions between the police and the public. So it incentivizes us going in the right direction. It's not perfect. It's also only one tool. We also have to end the war on drugs. We have to end no-knock raids. We have to end civil uh, asset forfeiture. We have to end the 1033 military industrial uh, military surplus program. You know, there's a lot of stuff we have to do. We have to get rid of mandatory minimum sentencing. There's all sorts of things that need to be done. But that one thing, qualified immunity, is possibly the biggest single one. So we have one more question, and did the? I know there was someone that was saying. Oh uh, yeah, got, it, that that's him. This account got banned, so that's his backup account. So Ike Sanchez is Takashi. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, and so we have no, because that was already on there before. No, well, he, yeah, but I didn't see the name Takashi on the list, so I assumed that he didn't do it. Okay. But then the comments. I'm Ike Sanchez. I was kicked off. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So here is Takashi's question. Hey, guys. So this is mainly a question for Spike, but Matt, feel free to jump in if you have any comment on this. Uh, I'm sorry if y'all have answered this before, but with the recent purge of all the boot boys on Facebook, I've been out of the loop. So the CNN boys. The CNN boys. I was wondering how y'all feel about the task force created by Bill Barr against the Boogaloo boys and Antifa. It's uh, it's a little worrying, you know, no, knowing his uh, his track record with Waco Siege and Ruby Ridge. But uh, yeah, just curious. I'm gonna let you take. So, I've been answering all these questions first, so I'm gonna let you do this one first. So, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, late last month, I think it was the 26th. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was the 26th. Uh, they announced that there was a tax task force to go after uh, members of Antifa and members of the, uh, if you read any article about it, the far right extremist Boogaloos. Um, and they said that they were a reason for a lot of the violence at the protests. Um, we talked about the Antifa thing briefly on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, and with the, cnn boys uh we can say the same thing um antifa isn't an actual organization the cnn boys are not an actual organization to say that you're going after antifa you are now going after anybody who is anti-fascist if you come out and you say and you ask them are you anti-fascist and you say yes technically at that point they can lock you up because of this um Same thing with the CNN boys um, that were added to that list. They're, to the best of my knowledge, I have not been invited to join uh, the CNN boys, even though I would have joined many of the groups that I was invited to, but failed to because of personal reasons. Um, But there is no like formal group. So anybody out there who's wearing a Hawaiian shirt or a CNN shirt or a pink polo, I think is now. Yeah. Pink polo is now the next Pink polo is now an approved, uh, and you're out there in the cul-de-sac Caucasians in in, in St. Louis. The cul-de-sac Caucasians in St. Louis. Um, 
if you're out there and you are wearing any of these things that are known as being uh, CNN boy approved apparel, they can technically just come and arrest you. Like there is no real foundation for any of this. And it's sort of like the war on terror where they are saying, we're just going after terror. We're going after an idea and a concept that has no real definition. And the reason we're doing it is so that we can deny them due process. We can say, this is a growing problem. CNN boys haven't killed anybody. No, there was one CNN boy who killed two police officers. That's literally the extent of the violence that they've caused. And the violence that has happened in these protests have happened as a result of police departments corralling peaceful, unarmed protesters uh, into small areas and then brutalizing them with with tear gas and pepper spray and everything else and making a large crowd of people very, very angry uh, and confused and scared. And that creates the the violence while at the same time they left the entire rest of the cities uh, completely unpleased, which encouraged uh, people who have nothing to do with Antifa or Boog Boys or anything else. They're just looters. They're just people who took advantage of a situation to go in and, and steal stuff um, and, 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 and raid businesses and do whatever. Um, and so Nate, that's... Sorry, I have, to, I have to interrupt you. Nate Fries said, can they start dressing like politicians? Yeah, if they call... I love the idea. They, they call themselves CNN... They dress like politicians, uh, and you know uh, they they carry guns, but they say that you know it, that it, they, they wrap it in a in a in you know in a sheet of paper that they've signed. So they say, "I'm just carrying laws." Um, you know, I I think they could really go with this. I just want to show you this photo that I shared on my uh, on my uh, Spike Cohen on my politician page. This is the 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 CNN boys in action. They are there with Black Lives Matters protesters protesting the murder of Breonna Taylor and Duncan Lemp who were both killed in no-knock raids uh, in the last... uh, Well, Breonna Taylor was killed a couple months ago, and Duncan Lepp was killed, what, last year? Early this year? No, that was a couple of months ago. Okay, yeah, so within the last couple of months, they were were both uh, murdered by uh, police who literally just broke into their homes and opened fire on them. Um, And so you have Black Lives Matter and Boog Boys protesting together. No one was killed. No one was harmed. And guess what also didn't happen? The police didn't bother these folks. You know why? Because they kept to themselves. They shared their First Amendment right to free speech. And they were heavily armed. And you probably shouldn't shoot tear gas at people that are heavily armed. You'll also notice that the protests recently haven't been as brutalized as they were previously. Do you know why that is? Because an increasing number of them are armed. You have Black Panthers and and CNN boys and and just people who are buying guns and coming to the protests. And it turns out when you put them in the front, the police don't want to start anything as much. We saw during the lockdown protests and during the anti uh, um, gun gun control protests in Richmond, Virginia, back in February, when you got a bunch of really armed people, the police don't want to start a fight with them. No one would want to start a fight with a large group of armed people. No one, no one would, there'd be no reason to do that uh, unless they were being aggressive, which they are not. They're simply saying we're here to exercise our rights and to share our opinions. And uh, even if we're doing so angrily, that's all we're doing. Uh, There was another uh, uh, video that I shared of several hundred uh, black people who marched on Stone Mountain, Georgia, in uh, in Georgia, it's a big Confederate monument. And they were marching there because they wanted to, you know, they wanted it removed and they were protesting. Uh, they wanted it to be, you know, removed and replaced with something else. Whether you agree with what they did or not, no one was harmed, no one was killed, 
And the police let them do their thing because they all had guns and lots of them. And that's why when we say the Second Amendment wasn't written for deer hunting and the Second Amendment protects the First Amendment, what that means is people tend to let you do your thing if there's a bunch of you and you have guns and you're not hurting anyone. They tend to just let you go ahead and have at it because they don't want to start a fight with you. Because why would they? So I, I think that, that answered the question. Yeah, I think that answered the question. I, I think I think we got Takashi's question. In. I think we got that in, and uh, we thank you for all your questions. Again, feel free to go to anchor.fm slash Muddy Waters Media. Uh, no, Muddy Waters. Nope. Anchor.fm slash Muddy Waters, and uh, and share your your questions, and we'd be happy to answer answer them uh, as soon as we aren't occupied. And speaking of occupied, that was so bad. Speaking of occupied, Matt, I heard some stuff happen down in Florida with occupational licensing. That was so bad. But yes, stuff did. Stuff did happen stuff here did in happen. Florida. Thank Last you. week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's about 50-50 in my mind, signed into law the Occupational Freedom and Opportunity Act that will loosen or abolish occupational licensing regulations across more than 30 professions. Wow. Yeah. Big. Uh, DeSantis commenting on the new law said for two years, we've pushed for regulatory reforms in Florida's occupational licensing system to remove unnecessary barriers for individuals pursuing their professional aspirations today with legislative and public support. We're delivering on those reforms with a comprehensive and meaningful bill that will save thousands of Floridians both time and money for years to come. Which, this is a huge, huge bill. This is a very large, like, the scope of the importance of this bill is very large. Because according to the Institute of Justice, which is a great organization that deals with this sort of thing. Uh, They said that this law repeals more occupational licensing laws than any licensing reform ever passed by any other state. Oh, wow. By the way, we were talking about barriers to entry. These are one of those barriers to entry, occupational licensing laws that if you want to like, you know, do some basic thing like food service or, or cutting, you know, uh, mowing lawns or, or doing handyman work or, or whatever, you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars in some cases to get allowed to do that. Right. Then you get taxed and everything else on top of that, but you have to pay for permission to do business for no reason. Right. So all told 30, 30 different, uh, this repeals or reforms over 30 different licenses, including by, uh, including by reducing required educational hours for certain licenses. Good. And some of the highlights of this bill, and we're going to be going through a couple right here, um, waiving the requirements of the commercial driver license for military service members with similar training and experience, which mm-hmm. means if you've already had the training, you don't need to go through it. You don't it. need to go through it, yeah. Right. Exempting all hair braiders, including African style hair braiders, nail technicians, hair wrappers, body wrappers, makeup artists, boxing announcers, and boxing timekeepers from being required to obtain a license. And in in related news, you had to have a license to be a boxing announcer or boxing timekeeper. Right. 
I did not read all the way to the end of some of these. So that those last two, I was like, what? <laughs> um, creating universal recognition for barbers and cosmetologists licensed in other states. That's a big one. Uh, that's a big that's one. That's a big one. I've talked to a lot of people. There was a thing that... with uh, Patrick Mahomes last year where he flew in his barber from Kansas City for the Super Bowl to get all of his boys on his team haircuts. And that guy was going to have to pay like a huge fine. Um, reducing required educational hours for cosmetology specialists and full barber's licenses, Good. Uh, reforming, reducing, or narrowing licensing requirements for landscape architects, diet coaches. That's a big one. We're going to talk about that in a second. Certain types of construction subcontractors, alarm system installers, and geologists. Geologists. Right. Because you wouldn't think that going through all of the schooling that you go through to call yourself a geologist would be enough. Um, and preventing the state from suspending licenses over unpaid student loans. That's huge. Huge. That is big huge. one right there. Yeah. That is a big one. Um, the dietitians and nutritionists. They're now going to be able to work without fear of being targeted by sting operations and threatened with jail time, which, yes, have happened here uh, simply for the supposed crime of giving out tips about healthy eating. So I'm going to do a thing. I have to look at this because we actually have links in our in our references for this show. That. Yeah. So it's a Florida, state of Florida, a woman named Heather Kokesh del Castillo of Fort Walton Beach. She she is giving dietary and nutritional advice. She was fined. She was threatened with fines up to $1,000 and a year in prison for getting, giving, like, these are the people that, like, you know, follow me on Instagram for more healthy, healthy recipes. And like, they want you to, you know, hire them to explain like how you can eat more healthily and how you can live a healthier life. You're in jail for that. Eat less burgers. Like me saying that I would have needed a license. Yeah. Well, to, to say it and, and charge someone and charge someone to tell, tell them to eat less burgers. Now you uh, can legally donate money to Muddy Waters after we have told you to eat fewer burgers. That's right. Because that is absolutely stuff. correct. If I say eat more uh, salad and less burgers and pizza, and for that small tip, you can go to anchor.fm slash muddied waters and hit the old donate button and uh, pick That's any of the three, per- preferably, preferably one of the two on the right. Um, you could uh, then... Uh, be paying me for that great, great information. Um, Included in the law about the dietitians, it says any person who provides information, wellness recommendations, or advice concerning nutrition to do so without a license as long as they do not provide those services to individuals under the direct care of a physician for medical reasons or advertise themselves as medical professionals. Let me just say, not a doctor. Yeah, we are not doctors, and if you're under the care of a physician, you can should consult them first. Um, and if what also, they say conflicts with what we said, if your doctor tells you not to eat more salad and fewer burgers and pizza, I guess you have to listen to them. Or 
get a second opinion from a different or, or doctor. Or find a new doctor. Right. Um, it also includes a provision preventing Florida cities from, and I'm so, I'm such a fan of this, uh, from banning food trucks or requiring operators to obtain an additional local license or pay additional fees in order to vend, which that's means that that's, that's big. I mean, Florida, tons of food trucks around here. Many of them are terrible, but some of them are really, really good. Um, now when the really, really good ones are in town, they don't need to get the, uh, the Tampa license in order to do it. They can just drive over from Orlando or from Sarasota or wherever. Right. This uh, next one, I, I have to read this. This is insane. It also got rid of the need for a license to interior decorate, which up until now required six years of education and experience and a two-year apprenticeship. To say that couch would look good there. I think you really need to have a clock on this wall. Interior decorating. Yeah. Eight years of Eight schooling years and of apprenticeship. Training. I can't even imagine what you would have to spend. Do you think any do you think the established interior decorators had anything to do with that rule? Eight years to be Eight an interior years. decorator. Yeah, big big interior decorating. Big, was really lobbying hard for that Big role. interior. Add it again. Uh, as long <laughs> as it takes to become a doctor. Right. That's how be, long it takes for you to become an interior to decorator be in an Florida. an interior decorator in Florida. Right. Wow. Yep. Now, according to the Institute for Justice, a conservative measure of the economic value loss due to these regulations totaled nearly $460 million. Oh, that's a, that's very conservative. All told, because of licensing, all Florida economy may lose $11.6 billion in misallocated resources annually. That sounds more like it. Um yeah, this isn't hundreds of millions of dollars being left on the table. This is billions or tens of billions of dollars every year being left on the table because, and this is what we talk about, cronies put regulations in place to make it harder for new actors to come into the market and threaten their market share. What does that do? If you're not already established, if you don't already have an established source of income, you're just not able to do anything. You have to go work for someone else. You have to go live on the social safety net. You have to go live on financial assistance. You have to go, you know, do bit jobs. You can't do anything for yourself because you can't afford the cost of trying to do it or the time taken away from other things to try to do it. Um, so perfect example. So uh, what an absolutely great, I mean, this is great. Like, I mean, I, it's not often I, I, uh, you know, it's not often that uh, we get to praise members of the government. Um, not but very often, in this case, like, it, is it perfect? No, it's not. But this is a huge step, a huge, huge step towards what the libertarian future is. Um, yeah, it's a huge and, step in allowing people to, to find their own, to be able to do business without going out of business because they can't afford it. And the Institute for Justice has said that they believe that because of Florida passing this law, many other states are going to copy it. That's what, yeah. And that this is going to become like the backbone of all of it, which 
that's going to help out every other state, which in turn will help out everybody in the economy and the nation. And then it will spread out from there. Yeah. Your mouth to God's ears that this becomes like a standard thing, uh, you know, across the, across the, the states. It'll make our job easier when we get elected to the White House, because we are going to be saying that these kinds of rules are a violation of the First Amendment. It's a violation of your right to try to uh, associate with others and try to create a business. Uh, it goes well outside of what government should be doing in terms of protecting the public. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. This doesn't protect. There's no protection of the public of someone having to go to going having to spend uh, school and apprenticeship for eight years to interior decorate. As um, where did that comment go? David McNitt says you can go through that education and still think it's a good idea to hang beads in a doorway. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which, it doesn't actually create taste. It just, it just makes, uh, it just makes the, uh, makes it, it more, makes expensive. more expensive. It makes it more expensive. It gives you fewer options and it makes it harder for people to move ahead in life. We, we want a much more dynamic market that comes from just letting people do it. You can do this. Okay, great. Do it. Great. Do it. That's great. Do it. You can't hurt people. You can't, you can't, you know, you mow lawns. Great. Okay. You can't run over people with your lawnmower. Everyone already knows that. Like there's no reason for them to be getting involved. What are you teaching the lawnmower guy? There's nothing they're learning. Now they want to be the best lawnmower in the game because they want you to, you know, use their lawn mowing service instead of someone else. They have a vested interest in providing the best uh, value. Um, And they're Mm -hmm. not going to provide they're going to be less likely to provide the best value if they're one of the only games in town because they know they can just provide, they can just do whatever they want. And, you know, they're, they're one of the few people that you can hire. So you make service better by adding more providers, which makes everyone step their game up. So it's not just about at that point, protecting the public. It's about them getting excellence in service because you're making the consumer King by allowing them to have as many choices as, as possible. So, and to that end, Joe Jorgensen and I, again, are running a campaign to set America free, and we will be in Orlando, Florida for the Libertarian Party convention, uh, which started today, uh, but it will go on till Sunday the 12th, um, and so I will be there uh, doing various uh, speaking things. I'll be hosting the panel on gun rights on Saturday morning that Matt has to be at, and uh, I will be uh, speaking at a luncheon on Friday. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm doing Thursday or Sunday other than just hanging out with people. I am going to be setting up some online uh, Zoom rallies uh, for all the online delegates. This year, because of the pandemic, the majority, probably a large majority of the delegates are not going to be there in person. They're going to be online. Isn't there a thing on Sunday? A thing? I don't have the schedule. Hang on. There's like a rally on Sunday, I believe. Oh, are you not giving a speech at that rally? I can. If I, I wasn't sure if you were or not. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if play. Joe or I are giving speeches there. I think that's just a rally. I think we'll be there, but I don't know if we're giving speeches. If I'm wanting to, but I'll no. certainly do it. I'll ask you after the show. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, we'll be doing that, and we will be uh, – we will be uh, – we'll be there at the, at, the, uh, at the convention, and then I will be uh, on the 20th – to the 23rd i'll be in chicago or not chicago i'll be in uh, illinois doing uh, a bunch of stuff there uh and i will be at the capital of illinois where the libertarian party of illinois will be submitting all of our ballot applications and everything else i'll be there along with a, a bunch of other local and uh, regional and uh, statewide candidates for office and then i will be on the 24th to the 26th 
I will be at the Libertarian Party of Ohio's convention. I will be the keynote speaker, and I will be uh, auctioning off. I will be signing a plush My Little Pony Spike the Dragon toy that they will be auctioning off. So if you ever wanted that, be in Ohio on the 25th. Oh, and on the 16th. Oh, God. So on the 16th, uh, I will be having a discussion with Trapped. Chris Brown of Trapped. Chris Brown of Trapped. About politics. About politics. Because this is 2020. Right, because if anybody had that on their bingo card, please let us know. Yeah. We will. If you had the vice presidential candidate of the third largest political party in the united states getting into a discussion about politics a heated discussion about politics with the lead singer of trapped let us let know us, let us know bring your bingo cards to convention and if you see me i'll give you a sticker we will definitely give uh, you a sticker for that uh <laughs> soon yeah. after i will be uh we have we are in works uh talking about i will be getting into a uh, a symposium about family law and its effects on the social safety nets of our states with the lead singer of Chumbawamba. <laughs> well, now I know what that song's about. Yeah. He got knocked down, but then he got up again. He got up again, yeah. Got knocked down, but then he got up again. They're then he drank about... the whiskey drink, then he drank the vodka drink, then he drank the lager drink. That's about family law. Yeah. So Matt, if, if someone were so uh so the schedule for this so I will not be doing a show tomorrow. Uh, I will be traveling to Orlando, uh so I will not be doing an episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh but I will be we will be live streaming various events happening at the convention throughout the week and weekend. Uh and then tune in back here on Tuesday night at eight PM Eastern for the next episode of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I will be parsing through the week's events like the sweet little summer cherubs that we are. I'm certain it's mainly going to be us talking about conventions. I'm sure now. that it's mostly going to be us talking about the convention. Right. So, Matt, if someone were to try to find us on the internet, is that even possible? And if so, how would they do that? Well, you can uh, head on over to Anchor at anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters uh, and from there, you can find us on any single podcasting app service that you prefer, because I'm pretty certain they're all there. Uh, you can find us there, and you can find this and every other episode at muddiedwatersmedia.com. Muddiedwatersmedia.com. So, folks, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week. And where we're going, we don't need roads.